Good day and welcome to the United for the Messiah podcast. My name is Edward Davies and today we will be conducting a Bible study on 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 to 13. As an introduction and overview for this Bible study, let's start by saying that this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy from inside a prison. Paul knew that his time was short and he wanted to encourage Timothy to continue and faithfully endure in his ministry. He also has a couple of practical requests from Timothy towards the end of the letter, but that was not the motivation for the letter, not the main motivation. This is a very personal letter we will see from a mentor unto his protege, urging him to continue in the work that he has been helping Paul to do. You can almost feel Paul's love for Timothy in the words of the epistle as he encourages him. So in today's passage, Paul will continue in this encouragement to Timothy. And as a rough outline, we will discover the three duties of a faithful Christian, and that's explained by Paul in verses 1 to 3. And then Paul gives three interesting analogies pertaining to the Christian life. We'll see that in verses 3b to 6. And we'll also see what the Christian's motivation should be in verses 8 to 9. And we will learn about suffering in a Christian's life in verse 10. And then lastly, we will have a look at the faithful saying that Paul quotes in the letter. And we'll see that in verses 11 to 13. So without any further delay, let's get into the scripture starting from verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So what does grace mean again? Grace refers to something you receive that you didn't deserve. What if a white, a commentator by the name of White, defines it as the divine help, the unmerited gift of assistance that comes from God. So basically, it's something that God gives us that we didn't deserve. Therefore, Paul is telling Timothy to be strong, or as the ESV puts it, to be strengthened. Note, it is an ongoing endeavor and not something that is done once. Timothy needs to be strong in the unmerited gift of assistance from God that is in Jesus Christ. In other words, divine assistance in a time of need is from Jesus Christ. And it's not something he needs to do once. He needs to do this continually and trust in Jesus continually for this grace. Timothy's source of strength is God. However, Paul's command to Timothy implies that Timothy needed to keep on being empowered by God. He needed to actively cooperate with God. How would you actively be strong in grace? I would think you would need to live by faith. And Paul knew a little bit about grace. Listen to this passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians 2 verses 9 to 10. In verse 9 he says, And he said to me, and just a pause here, Paul is here talking about the three times he asked God to remove the thorn in his flesh, whatever that may have been. And God replied with this response that we'll read now. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is not talking about the man that is relying upon his own strength. Paul here is definitely not relying on his own strength. 
This is talking about the man that has to fully rely upon God to be strengthened. And how does God tell Paul he does it? He says by grace. His grace is sufficient. Verse 2 And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So in verse 2, Paul is reminding Timothy of the teachings he heard from himself. The phrase among many witnesses in the original Greek is an ambiguous phrase, and therefore there are different interpretations thereof. The phrase could be translated with the word through or among many witnesses. So he could have heard these things through many witnesses or among many witnesses. And a, a different translations tr translated differently as well. So I'll give you both interpretations, and I don't think any of these interpretations add or take away from the exhortation. And I'll tell you which one I, I, I tend to side with. I don't think it changes the meaning that, or changes the, the context that much of the scripture. In any case, the one possibility where they use the word among is that Timothy received a special message from Paul in the presence of many other witnesses. For example, during his baptism or during his ordination service. The other possibility where the word through is used, and this is the one possibility I prefer actually, is that Timothy heard the doctrinal teachings from Paul as well as other witnesses, such as his mother, grandmother and Barnabas. But like I said, this doesn't change the meaning that much. So Paul is saying that he should take these doctrines and pass it on to other faithful men who are also able to teach others. Paul wants Timothy to train other pastors and teachers in the word of God. These men should be faithful. And Paul probably had the elders of, of 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 to 7. And if you remember 1 Timothy 5 verse 17 to 22 in mind. These are the same group of people he probably had in mind when he was, when he was telling Timothy that he should pass these on. Or, or entrust this teaching to other to other men. And if you need to do it, please pause this message if if you don't know these passages or if you haven't re um, read it before, and go look it up for your for your own understanding, and s see what the character requirements or the character traits of these elders were um, that that Paul was referring to. Okay, let's continue in verse three. You therefore must endure hardship. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In this passage, Paul uses a faithful soldier as an analogy of a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. We therefore cannot help but be reminded of what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6 verse 12. Let's listen to what, or let's read what Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you are a born-again believer, you are engaged in spiritual warfare. Whether you know it or not, if you are going to be an active in God's kingdom, and if you are going to be faithful to your calling and in the place God has placed you, the Bible teaches us that you will endure hardships, temptations, trials and suffering. Paul writes that Timothy must endure hardships as a matter of fact. Just as a matter of fact, you know. He is not saying it is a matter of whether or not it will happen. 
He says it's a matter of when it will happen. So regarding the analogy of a soldier, in the time when Paul was writing this letter, the soldiers they knew were mainly Roman soldiers. And there were many ranks and classes of soldiers in the Roman army. However, the word used for soldier in this verse um, was used to refer to the regular type of soldier in service. So Paul spent a lot of time in the custody of these Roman soldiers. And, I mean, we know this from Paul's house arrest. Paul was, Paul was allowed to rent his own house in Rome. However, he was under 24-7 house arrest and he was actually physically chained to a, a soldier. Uh, we read about this in Philippians as well, where, where he says he's, he's chained uh, to the letter of Philippians. He, he said he's chained to a soldier, actually. And in um, any case, so Paul knew firsthand how honorable and committed they were to their cause. He therefore uses this type of soldier as an example of honorable commitment to a sovereign. So the idea of not being entangled with the affairs of in this life does not necessarily mean to be completely removed from any secular activity. I mean, that would be impossible. And many Christians are placed in secular positions by God for a specific reason. The idea here is rather that the Christian should not get caught up in the worries or the stresses or the unnecessary activities of this world, but have a singular focus on carrying out God's will in his or her life. A commentator by the name of Paul Zer says this about this passage, and I quote, he says, The soldier has a single aim, to give undivided attention to carrying out his superior's orders. In like manner, Timothy is to give wholehearted devotion and perseverance to his master, Jesus Christ. So this is not only true for Timothy, it is true for every born-again believer. We all have a mission or a ministry in life. And if you don't know what it is, you need to seek God on this. So before we continue on to verse 5, as I mentioned in, in the introduction, there are three duties of a Christian mentioned in verses 3 to 1. Ah, sorry, <laughs> verses 1 to 3. These duties are universal and applicable for all Christians, not only for Timothy. So as true followers of Christ, we need to, number 1, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 1. Number two, we need to be able to teach and pass on the truths of the word of God to others who are faithful, who in turn will be able to do the same. That obviously, we need to do that faithfully in order to further the kingdom of God, to spread the gospel. And in number three, to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's in verse three. So those are the, the three duties that's universally applicable for you and me as Christians. Now we go on to verse 5. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So the second illustration Paul uses is that of an athlete. In the Roman culture, athletes competed in the Greek games. It is said that in order to compete in these games, the athletes needed to train for at least 10 months prior to the event. And when the athlete then participated, if he made one mistake, he was disqualified. It therefore means that if an athlete were, if an athlete in those days were to be a successful one, they needed to be extremely disciplined and well trained in their respective disciplines. As Christians, we also need to be just as disciplined in our walks with the Lord. In fact, the root word, the root word for disciple, is discipline, and I, I handled this in one of my previous podcasts as well. If you want to listen to that, as I mentioned, in order to compete according to the rules. 
you need to be extremely well versed in the rules. So personally, I, I did kickboxing as a sport for many years. And when I competed in, in competitions, other than ensuring that I was in the best physical shape that I could be, or that I um, understood the techniques um, the best I could or could execute them the best I could or that uh, my I was in so to say that that my timing and my um, my speed and everything was was in sync I also needed to ensure that I understood the rules of the mode of fighting for the specific organization extremely well so I started uh, competing when I was about eight or nine and when I started competing um, I had a vague understanding of the rules so when things happened in a competition that I didn't understand, I would get flustered or would start to panic. But then as time went along and the more I understood the rules of the competition, the less I would get flustered, or the less I would get confused or even angry. And it's the same for us as Christians. We need to understand the rules and guidelines. God has laid this out for us in His Word. He gave us a divinely inspired manual called the Bible. The more we understand the Bible, the less we will be swayed in our walks with the Lord due to things that will happen in our lives. In other, in other words, the more we understand the Bible and what God is trying to tell us through His Word, the more faithful we can and will be in our races, in our metaphorical races of this life. And when we are faithful, we can have the assurance, the knowledge, that we will receive our reward. I, I just want to stress this point. Because many many believers backslide or are backslidden at the moment or some people who almost came to salvation almost came to faith fell away completely because they do not know the word of God they have been they have not studied the word of God themselves they haven't read it for themselves and they rely on churches or pastors or leaders to tell them what something means and some churches and some uh, some pastors will will say and uh, um, I don't know what Apostle Paul would have said about this I think I know what he would have said about this but I mean some some people will tell you that if you are not wealthy um, you don't have enough faith or if you get ill um, you don't have enough faith I mean, why are these things happening to you? I mean, we will see later in this Bible study that Christians do suffer. Christians are persecuted. I mean, we just saw what Paul said uh, in a previous verse that I read, in, in, in a couple of verses ago, what he was talking about uh, um, about suffering. Um, he says, then is, um, he, uh, when he is really weak physically, that's when he is strong, spiritually. So, because of these things, when the time comes when a believer suffers or something bad happens in their life or they go through the financial difficulties because they do not know scripture they then blame it on God or they think they don't have enough faith and something is wrong with them or God doesn't love them enough and they fall away I want you to understand <laughs> that you need to understand scripture so that you can discern for yourself what other people are telling you. Even me, when I am telling you these things, when, when, when I am going through this Bible study, you need to be a good Berean, you need to take your Bible, and you need to check whether what I'm saying is the truth or not. It's very, very important. And if, <laughs> if I can get one point across today, that's it. 
I mean, be as the good Bereans and study your Bible for yourself. Double check what other people are telling you and make up your own mind um, uh, about about things. Any case. So please note as well, just before I end this section here on, on the... Um, on this analogy of the athlete this is not talking about following the rules to earn salvation salvation is a free gift that that we receive by accepting it we talked about grace earlier it's salvation is that it, it you, you you earn you don't earn salvation you receive salvation by um, grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone so salvation is that free gift of grace um, that we receive by accepting it simply accepting it but this section is rather talking about rewards in heaven for those who were faithful in their life's mission. So once you are saved, how faithful were you to whatever God's will for your life was? Now let's continue in verse 6. The hard-working farmer must, must be first to partake of the crops. David Guzik raises an interesting point with regards to the analogy of the farmer. He says, unlike the soldier or the athlete, there is absolutely nothing glamorous about what the farmer does. And that is, this is the truth. It is often tedious, boring and unexciting as a farmer. And to top all of it, it is really, really hard work. In all aspects of ministry, we need to be hard working. In Timothy's context, being a pastor, and he was probably a pastor of pastors or a leader of pastors, there wasn't it just is no place for a lazy pastor it is a serious work unto the Lord and the Lord has entrusted you with the duty to pastor a flock you need to do with uh, you need to do that work with the utmost diligence and commitment now he says be first to partake of the crops what does this mean in the context of a pastor or teacher in order to teach or convey spiritual truths to the congregation you must first eat of it firsthand. In other words, if a pastor is not fed from the word of God, how can he expect the congregation to be fed by his message? He must lead by example. And the last thing about this verse is, we should not work in order to see the fruits of our diligence in this lifetime. In many respects, it will most likely, likely only be seen at the end of the age, and we need to be eternally minded in this. Verse 7, Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So here Paul is exhorting Timothy to consider these three analogies. He is telling Timothy that the Lord will give him understanding of all things. We should also hold on to this promise. We need to trust the Lord to give us understanding in all things. Verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. He is talking about those chains again that I just mentioned, where he was chained to the, to the Roman soldiers. But the word of God is not chained. So firstly, Jesus Christ of the seed of David. Paul drops this detail in here, but, but why does he do this? It's because it was prophesied that the Messiah would be from David's line. It is the proof of the divine nature of Scripture. Paul is just dropping in a little bit of truth here, here and there. You know, uh, well, he's, he's, 
it's littered with truth all the way. But I mean, he's dropping an extra uh, piece of truth in here from the Old Testament scripture just to verify the divine inspiration and the, di um, the divine nature of this text, the scripture that we have, the Bible. These texts were in existence and already translated into Greek by the time Jesus came to earth. It is undisputed. And consider these Old Testament verses. And once again, if you need to stop <laughs> this recording, or, 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 the, or this, um, yeah, this recording, stop it, go and read these verses. I'm just going to give you the gist what they're about. But they're in the Old Testament. These things were in existence. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. That is talking about the Prince of Peace that will be born and he will sit on the throne of David. Then Isaiah 11, verse 1 to 10. And this is a prophecy concerning the Messiah, and that he will stem from the bloodline of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And then look at Jeremiah 23, verse 5 to 6. This is a prophecy from, from God concerning the righteous king that will come from the seed of David. Jesus was raised from the dead. This is, Paul say, uh, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, remember, Paul used to be called Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee. He persecuted the early Christians with great zeal for exactly this claim, that the Messiah was killed and raised again. He was persecuting other people for saying this, and now he's saying the same thing. If you are listening to this message and doubt whether this has happened or not, I urge you to go and be diligent and consider the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. It's overwhelming. I mean, there is people, um, Lee Strobel is, is one of them, you can go look that up. He doubted and he went out on a mission to uh, disprove basically the claims of the New Testament of Jesus' death and the resurrection. Because if you can uh, disprove his resurrection, um, then, uh, I mean, you, you cannot really disprove his death. You can go, go search for that. that. That's almost impossible. But to could disprove his resurrection, that would end Christianity. That will end Christianity. Remember what Paul's teacher said. Uh, Paul's teacher was Gamaliel. They, <laughs> he gave, uh, in, in the book of Acts, you can go read this. He gave them advice. He said, listen guys, be, um, don't treat them too harshly. Basically in his own words, what he was saying is that, if this is of God, then it will last. If it's not of God, it will die off. When the, when the Messiah that they proclaim is dead, and if he is dead, this uh, movement will disperse. So he's saying, give it time and look at the evidence. In his own words, he was saying, and then and, 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 uh, Dr. Phil Fernandez <laughs> says it quite plainly and bluntly, and I love it. He says, dead Messiah equals dead messiah movement in other words if jesus did not rise from the dead christianity would not exist it would not exist 12 out of the 13 apostles and i'm saying 13 apostles because some pe <laughs> some people and i'm, I'm taking another rabbit hole here some people say that um, paul was the 12th apostle that took the place of judas and um, but i don't know this we will only see <laughs> we will probably see this in uh, um or we'll find this out when we when we go to heaven but uh, um yeah i'm not i'm i'm not saying either way 
um, it could. I, I'm, I'm seeing. I'm counting Paul as the thirteenth apostle here. So twelve out of those thirteen apostles were martyred for believing in Jesus Christ, and all they had to do was say that Jesus did not rise from the dead. I mean, I doubt a person will lay down his or her life for what they know is a lie, much less an entire group of people. Yes, people will lay down their life for a cause which they believe in, which is untrue. But these guys claim that they saw Jesus Christ risen from the dead, physically, all of them, all 13 of these guys. And there were many more that saw Jesus uh, risen from the dead. This is, <laughs> in my opinion, that, that's evidence enough. But go do, go do yourself a favor. I mean, I have all... I have all uh, confidence when I say and challenge you if you are if you don't believe if you doubt if you're unsure go and do the homework you will not be sorry go and do it we challenge you um, and, and, and go and go and find out for yourself this is Christianity by the way is not a blind faith it's not a blind faith it's not something we take on uh, without evidence there's evidence there's enough evidence. This is uh, as much an intellectual... Um, uh, uh, this is as much something you need to accept with your mind as it is with your heart. You need to believe this. So, any case, Paul is affirming that he is suffering for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm back, I'm back with the Bible study now. He is saying that even an, as he is writing this letter, he is tied with chains in prison for this, for, for this sake, for the gospel of Christ. But Paul says, listen to this, he says the word of God is not chained. How true is this? No, mat no matter how many people try to disprove scripture, no matter how many nations try to remove Bibles from schools and universities, no matter how many nations try to ban the word of God, his word is not chained. And it is usually under these circumstances when they try and chain the word of God and try and stop the spread of it, when it spreads the most. I mean, not long ago, China was the nation where Christianity grew quickest. That communist nation, um, they were, in that nation, Christianity grew quickest. And now we believe it is Iran. I mean, these are the nations where Christianity is under severe pressure. And these are the nations where Christianity is spreading like wildfire. And it is a testimony to these words that Paul is speaking right here in this in this piece of scripture. So in the in the introduction of the study, I mentioned that we will discover what the Christian's motivation should be, and we see here that the Christian's motivation is firstly the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is to make him known and to spread his word. It is a matter it's a matter of spiritual life and death. We cannot in our own strength save anyone. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, but we can be used as an instrument in God's hands in order for the Holy Spirit to accomplish His work, and we should be willing and ready to serve God. This, in a nutshell, once again, is the Great Commission that Jesus gave to His disciples. And, in effect, we are disciples of Jesus Christ if we're believers, true believers, and this is our duty. The Great Commission, we should also partake in that, in whichever way, in form and shape. Uh, God has called us to do this. Verse 10. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. <laughs> and yeah, 
here we can get into a topical study just on this verse and even I dare say just on the idea of elect of the elect or election there are many debates and differences in understanding regarding this and I am not planning to do a topical study on this um, now for, 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 for this uh, podcast um, I just want to get through the text for today in context but I will explain what I understand by the term elect but before that let's look at the rest of the verse Paul is saying he endures all things he endures all the beatings the stonings and the imprisonment in order that the elect may also obtain the salvation which is in Jesus Christ in other words that these people may be saved now some look at the word elect and say that only some are chosen by God for salvation therefore not everyone can be saved and here I must strongly disagree with the statement I personally believe God wants all to come to salvation why do I say this look at John 3 verse 16 to 17 however because we have free will some choose not to some choose some choose not to receive that that uh, gift of grace that gift of salvation as God and, and this is my understanding as God knows the end from the beginning we, we, we know God knows the end from the beginning how do we know this Isaiah 46 verse 10 says, says so and we know God exists outside of the parameters of time and space he is not bound by our physical um, earthly parameters I mean he created our parameters of course he needs to be outside of time and space he therefore knows who will accept Jesus as Lord and Savior because if you know the end from the beginning there's a there's another sort of illustration on this it's um, I can't remember if it's someone standing from a balcony or from a, I think it's from a helicopter but they say imagine you you're looking at the parade happening and someone's in a helicopter and this parade has, has got thousands of people um, that are participating in this parade if you're in a helicopter view you can see the people at the end and the people at the beginning now this is may or may not be a great illustration but it illustrates the fact that uh, this is sort of how God God sees the the history of of mankind he knows the end from the beginning so he knows who will choose and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and I believe those people that he knows is gonna choose Jesus or um, they, they are called the chosen or the elect so it's not that God chose some to be saved and some not to be saved he knew who will be saved and those are called the elect okay and they choose um, and these people choose to their salvation of their own free will but I don't believe we should get too hung up on this either way of understanding of this word in any case either way we do not know who the elect is and therefore we need to minister to and share the gospel with everyone that's why of all the debates and wherever you stand on this the job is still the same for us the work is the same for us we need to share the gospel and we need to minister to all people because we do not know who is going to choose Jesus or not verse 11 this is a faithful saying so before I even continue in the letters of Paul to Timothy and Titus it is not always clear whether a faithful saying precedes or comes after Paul's declaration of that statement 
this is a faithful saying. Um, you see this in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. In this case, however, most scholars I've read agrees that the faithful saying is what follows in the rest of verses 11 to 13. It is unclear where the faithful saying when counting the passage of scripture originated from. Its structure suggests that it may have been a poem or a hymn. However, we are not sure whether Paul wrote it or whether it came from somewhere else in the church. At the end of the day, it is included in scripture, which means it has the Holy Spirit's stamp of approval on it. So knowing this, let's have a look at it. He says, th this is the saying now, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Okay, that's the first portion of it. Let's go through that. This is true in at least two ways. First in Romans 6 verse 3 to 5, and I'll read these verses, it says, Or do you not know that as many as, oh sorry, as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This describes our spiritual rebirth at the moment we are born again. Our old nature dies and we start growing spiritually in Christ. Secondly, the second way this is true, is when we physically die, we will go on to live with Christ for all eternity. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, Paul tells the church in Corinth the following. He says, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wow. I mean this, and just to divert again, because we are going through scripture verse by verse, chapter or book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, when I get to, <laughs> when I get to a verse like this, I just need to stop because... Like I say, I, I prefer this expository teaching to to topical teachings. But Paul here is saying when he's absent from a body, you'll be present with the Lord. He's talking about immediate, Im, Im, immediately. He's not talking about um, things such as soul sleep uh, that some people believe. He's not saying that uh, to be absent from a body, you'll be uh, um, in purgatory. Um, and he's not saying that um, well, what he is saying is that if he's not alive, he will be with the Lord. That's it. And I think, uh, yeah, you need to un you, you need to also just take uh, note of that. that, that that's another little bit of a, a sidetrack. Verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So if we endure, the phrase means... If we are faithful amidst trials, sufferings, tribulation, persecutions, and so on, you know, we can only be faithful if we are truly born again. If we truly trust God alone for our salvation and for our strength, this is when we can endure. The promise is a future one, and it's an es eschatological one. Paul tells the Corinthian church something similar. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1 to 3. He says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more 
things that pertain to this life. And this is quite a promise to hold on, especially in difficult times in your life. And you will go through difficult times in your life. If we deny him, now we continue, if we deny him, he also will deny us. For this passage, I will just let Jesus comment. I mean, in Matthew 10 verse 33, I cannot say it better than Jesus says it. He says, but whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Therefore, and this is my words now, there is no time and place for lukewarm Christians. We need to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. And I'm talking here to myself. I'm preaching to myself more than to anyone else. Um, we need to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. It is important to come to the realization and, 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 and understanding, sorry, and understanding <laughs> that, the un that the faithfulness of God is not dependent on our faithful or our faithfulness or unfaithfulness. It is important to realize that because God and therefore Jesus cannot deny himself that his promises and warnings in scripture also cannot change. Meditate on this verse for a while and think about the implications. I think the faithfulness and unfaithfulness in this verse refers to the following saying of Jesus Christ as found in Matthew 5 verse 18 to 19. He says, For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, I think it's one yot, sorry, or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So this brings us to a close of today's study. So in closing, Christians should boldly endure in their ministries by working hard and focusing on the blessed hope in Jesus Christ, even if they are to suffer persecution. The Holy Spirit does not only want us to learn the truth, but wants believers to share and teach these truths to other faithful believers, so that in turn they can also teach others, even if it means they should suffer temporarily, in order that the elect may come to salvation. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's Bible study, please subscribe to our podcast. Uh, you can find it by searching United for the Messiah. It is hosted uh, under a website called potpoint.com or you can uh, search for it under iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, you should find it there as well. It's free to subscribe. And you can join our Facebook page. Um, it's You search United for the Messiah, one word, or facebook.com front slash United for the Messiah and you should find it and you can uh, you can follow us and you'll get updates of, of great free Christian resources almost on a daily basis. Well, it is basically on a daily basis. And then we also have a website uh, which we're trying to uh, still develop, but we've come a long way. And what we are trying to do is we're trying to share free, solid, biblical Christian resources. So when I say biblical Christian resources, I'm talking about almost cons the, the broadest and the narrowest uh, I would uh, want to define it is under the banner of conservative con uh, evangelical Christianity. Um, and 
all the resources are free. We've got a, a free a video library. Uh, we try and uh, link you up to free ebooks, um, free Bible software, uh, free Bible study tools, uh, free ministries that you can go and uh, uh, go and visit and learn more from. Um, there's just a host of resources, MP3s, YouTube uh, channels. Uh, please go visit it. the The website's name is uniform.org. That's U N I, the number four, and the letter M. dot org. The U N I is for United. The number four is for the word four, and the M is for Messiah. So uniform.org, it's quite easy, go and check it out. And once again, thank you for listening, and until next time, God bless.